chosen, and I am thrilled about this series because in this series, we are going to be partnering with an organization called World Vision to serve and to support some of the most vulnerable children on the planet. We're going to be partnering with World Vision to help support uh, some, some children in the country of Ghana. But I don't want to get into all of that yet. The details of that are going to come out over the next couple of weeks. Um, what I want to do today is sort of introduce the, the idea, the theology behind what we're doing, and then we'll get deeper into it as we go. But before we go anywhere, let's pause. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's clear our hearts. Let's clear our minds. Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit in. Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We look to you today for guidance and leadership. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through me, use my words and my mouth to speak your truth, uh, to speak the truth, Lord, to this congregation. I pray that all of our hearts and ears and minds would be soft and receptive to hear what you have to say. We thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So several years ago, some of you may remember this, there was a trend on the internet called the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Does anybody remember the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Some of y'all may have done it. Uh, so, so it was a real catchy trend, and basically the concept behind it was, uh, you know, you pour a bucket of ice water on your head to raise awareness for what is commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease and to raise money for, for ALS research. And this trend just caught on. It just swept the nation, swept the world, and they ended up raising about $100 million to address and to do additional research for, for ALS. Uh, and a lot of people wondered afterwards, like, what made this thing go viral? What, what happened to make this trend go so viral around the world? And, and really, it comes down to about three things. There might be more, but, but basically, the first one is, it was fun. It was fun to watch people dump ice water on their head. Like if I dumped, I, I'm not going to do it. If I dumped ice bucket on my head today, you would remember that. You would tell people, hey, you should watch the video, right? Because, you know, it was fun. Second of all, it was supporting a good cause that people understood and believed in. So people said, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm about this. I'm for this. I understand the cause and I'm, I'm good with it. But I think, I think the other part of it was in the name itself. And that is, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. The ALS ice bucket challenge and everybody, or almost everybody, loves a good challenge. I mean, I see people loving challenges all around me all the time. I've got a bunch of little kids, as, as some of you may know. Just this week, I had, uh, I can give you three examples from this week. My, my son Lincoln, as we were coming home the other day, um, to, uh, we were coming up the sidewalk to our front, front door. We have five steps. And Lincoln says, Dad, watch this. And so he come, get, comes over on the sidewalk, and then he, he runs, and then he tries to jump all the way to the top step. Now, he doesn't need to jump to the top step. He can just walk to the top. But he likes the challenge, so he's working on it. He's, I think you're at step four right now. Is that right, Lincoln? You're at step four. Okay, we've got one more. We got, next week, we're on that. So, so that's just a challenge. My daughter, Eden, she's just seven years old. She likes to walk across the back of the couch. And so she'll say, Dad, watch this, and she will walk. There's no need to walk across the back of the couch. There's no, there's no upside to it. Like there's, it's just the challenge itself. I mean, she could break her, you know, twist her ankle, do something, right? But she just likes the challenge. I'll give you one more example. My son, Augustine, t- this week, this week, you know, you know how they got, the kids got those little plastic Easter eggs last week on, at Sunday school? 
So we're in the kitchen this week, and the family's all just doing their thing. I'm cooking, and people are doing their thing. Augustine is running through the kitchen trying to kick the Easter egg between our legs. Like, that's the challenge that he set up. And then he would get it, and then, because he's like soccer, but it was a plastic Easter egg, and kick it between the legs and then go, nutmeg, which I've learned to understand is the term used in soccer when you kick the ball between somebody's legs. I didn't know that. So you all just learned something today, right? It's just... People like a challenge. We love a good challenge. And it's good for us to love challenges. It's good for us to be challenged. It's good for us to take challenges because challenges do a few things for us. Number one is they make us better. When we challenge ourselves, we stretch ourselves to do things that we didn't know we could do. So that's one thing. They make, they make us better. Number two is they make us more humble. When we, when we try to challenge ourselves, we start to sometimes learn about things that we can't do yet. And so we become humble. We start to understand our, our own limitations. The third thing that challenges do is, is a lot of times they make us more confident. Because once you've started a challenge and once you've accepted a challenge and then once you've mastered a challenge, you start to go, okay, let me find another challenge. You start to grow in your confidence. And it's not good, it's not good for us to not take on challenges. If you, if you know anybody who just doesn't ever allow themselves to be challenged, I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find somebody who's, number one, complacent because they just don't care about improving. They don't want to get better. They don't want to, to, to step further into their capacity, right? They just, they're like, I don't, I don't want to be challenged. The, the other thing that I noticed about people who don't accept challenges is that a lot of times they become hypercritical. They, they are kind of like armchair quarterbacks who like to call out what everybody else is doing wrong, but they don't want to challenge themselves to, to step into it. They don't want to. But the third thing, and, and the worst part, is that if you do not accept challenges, if you do not step into challenges, then you cannot fulfill your God-given potential. You can't step into the fullness of who God designed you, created you to be, because, because Jesus, when we learn about Jesus, he's always challenging his followers. He's challenging his, you look through the, the gospel of Matthew, challenge after challenge after challenge. He's always trying to draw out of his disciples more than they think they can give. He's always trying to pull out of them the fullness of their capacity. I'm going to give you a few examples. Are you ready? Follow me with this. I'm going to go through these quickly. He gives, this is just a few examples from the, from the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 5, 21, he says this. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. So that's the rule. That's the law. That's the standard. He says, I want to challenge that. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In other words, he's saying, I want to challenge you to move beyond your action to your attitude. I want to challenge you to go further than you think you can. In verse 27, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a challenge. He says, I don't want you to only control your deeds, but your desires. I want to challenge you. No amens on that one. So everybody's got that one dialed in. I know Shaw Campus is going to amen us down here. Uh, in, in verse 31, he says this. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. He's saying, I want to challenge you. I want to push you further than you're ready to go. Matthew uh, 5, 38. He says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is a challenge, right? He keeps saying, I want to challenge you. I want to push you. I want to draw out of you something that you don't even know is in you. Might not be in you. I want to challenge you. Then he said in verse 43, you've heard it said, love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a challenge, people. Anybody with me this morning? These are, these are challenging things that Jesus is demanding of his followers. He's saying, I want to I draw out of you more than you think you've got to offer. But perhaps the most challenging passage, if it's not the most, it's one of the most challenging teachings of Jesus, is the one that we're going to look at today. We're going to explore a passage of teaching, a passage of Scripture, where he pushes us into a challenge that I got to tell you, as I'm preparing and studying for this sermon and getting ready for this sermon, I personally found this incredibly not only challenging but convicting. So let me read it to you. Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels come with him. He's going to sit on his glorious throne. So he's talking about the end of time. He's talking about the judgment. He's talking about himself, the king. He says, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand, and he will put the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, he's going to say, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, he said, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous are going to answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is where it gets kind of challenging, right? For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick. I was in prison. You didn't look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in, person and, in prison and we didn't help you? When did that happen? He will say, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. Because this challenge isn't just a challenge. It's a challenge with eternal consequences. It's a challenge where Jesus says, I'm going to challenge your pride, your busyness, your greed, your laziness, your complacency, your religious. I'm going to challenge every part of you by equating myself to the least desirable, the most vulnerable, the poorest and the weakest, the most outcast people. I'm going to, I'm going to equate myself to them, and then I'm going to challenge you to treat them as if they were me. 
And then he takes it further and says, and if you meet the challenge, I'm going to bring you into eternal life. And if you don't meet the challenge, death and destruction. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm just like shaking at that point. Like, I'm all, like it's just like, that's just such an intense challenge. And I don't know about you, but as I read these passages, I think, man, I want to end up on the right side of this story. I, as I read this story, I, I want to be one that's on the right side, not on the left side. I want to be on the sheep side, not the goat side of this story. So what, what I want to do today is I want us to go down and dig into this a bit and dig into this passage a bit so that we can begin to pray about, think about, and take the steps that are required to end up on the right side of this challenge. Amen, somebody? Let's go back to verse 37. Watch this. He says, when did we, they said, when did we see you hungry? When did we... When did we see you a stranger? When did we see you sick or in prison? So there's a clue in this passage right here to help us take the first step because the first step to serving begins with seeing. Serving begins with, with seeing. There are some researchers who recently, researchers from Princeton and Duke and then other places that have, that have done a study where they, they show pictures of participants in the study. They show them pictures of various people moving about their life. So they'll show a picture of, of a doctor or a picture of a mother or a picture of a child or, you know, a picture of a teacher or whatever. And what they notice is that when we look and the participants look at the pictures of various people doing various things, a certain part of their brain lights up. And it's the part of the brain that is involved in social cognition. It's the part of the brain that is involved with empathy. It's the part of the brain that helps you kind of try to think about what somebody else is thinking. Like if you meet somebody, that part of your brain kind of lights up because you're trying to understand them and you're trying, to, you're trying to figure them out. What are they doing? What are their feelings? What are their thoughts? And so there's a part of your brain, and I'm not a brain scientist, but there's a part of your brain that kind of lights up when that happens. But what they found was fascinating because when they showed the participants pictures of people who were considered to be the least desirable in society. So like if they showed them a picture of a homeless person on the street or a person that was perceived to be a drug addict or a person that was just a, a, a non-desirable, a very, very needy person. What they found is that the, the, the brains of their participants, that part of the brain didn't light up. It just didn't light up. And they kept trying to figure out what in the world is going on. So they did study after study after study. And what they have figured out is that to some extent, Many of us, if not all of us, have learned when we look at somebody in great need to not see them as a person. Because the problem is when we see somebody that is of great, great need, and we don't think that perhaps we have the ability to address that need, we, t we need to turn that off. Because we just don't have the we just don't have the time, we just don't have the bandwidth to look at somebody in need and really empathize with them. We actually, the, the researchers have written on this, we actually see them as an object. And an object that needs to be removed. In fact, in some of these studies, what they found is that the emotion of disgust is the only emotion that rises up. Because we not only, not, we don't, we not only don't see them as people, but we see them as garbage that needs to be moved off the sidewalk. One of the researchers put it like this. This is fascinating. He said, people aren't being seen. 
He said, if, I, if I'm a busy person going through a city where there are tons of homeless people and I have to stop and consider the thoughts and emotions of all these people, that might make me feel very uncomfortable. Moreover, he said, if I don't feel like I have the resources to help, there's nothing I can do to alleviate that suffering. Our brain says instead, if I take a second to stop and think about your suffering, it's going to make me feel bad. So listen to this. So dehumanization becomes a kind of emotional regulation strategy. In other words, our strategy is to dehumanize rather than have to put up with the intensity of emotion that we might have if we fully empathized with them. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not the way of Jesus. In fact, listen to this. Jesus not only wants us to not dehumanize them, but he says, I want you to see them in essence as divine. Because when you're looking at them, you're looking at me. And if you're not seeing them, you're not seeing me. He says, I need you to see. Serving begins with seeing. It begins with seeing. It begins with stopping and looking at the, at the suffering of others and seeing them as divine bearers of the image of God. People who are struggling, people who are hurting. And, and, see, and, and I'm just telling you, we're all in this together. Don't, don't take this as like judgment. I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm like, I told one of my sons the other day, I'm, I'm like, this, this sermon is convicting me more than it's going to convict anybody else. He's saying, I want you to see those who are suffering. But it doesn't end with, with seeing. It goes further. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. All action words. All actions. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you see it, you've got to solve it. It's not enough to just see the suffering. A lot of people can diagnose the problem. But Jesus is saying, I want some people to step into the problem. I want some people to not be the priest and the Levite walking on the other side of the road. They see the problem, but they just keep walking. He said, I want somebody to be the Samaritan to walk over and take a closer look and to address the wound. There's a, in the 20s and 30s, there was a split in, in Christian thought, in, 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 in Christian thinking in churches. And the, the split is often referred to as the modernist fundamentalist divide the modernist fundamentalist controversy and basically what that looks like is uh it looks like two camps of people one camp the sort of modernist camp and, and this is a very rough approximation so if you want to research this you can drill down on it the modernist side basically said we're not really convinced of the authority of scripture we're not really convinced of the virgin birth we're, we're not really uh, that concerned or, or convinced of the miracles of Jesus. In fact, we're not really even that hip on the idea that he rose from the dead. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We, we're not really into the doctrine, but we are into the doing. And so they said, we do need to address social ills. We do need to take care of the poor. We do need to serve those in need. We need to be a place that, that addresses injustice in the world. That, that was the modernist position. The fundamentalist position, on the other hand, said, we need to hold firm to the gospel. We need to hold firm to the Bible. We need to hold firm to the doctrines of the faith that Jesus rose from the dead and all of that. 
But we're not overly concerned with the poor. We're not overly concerned with addressing justice. We're not overly concerned with those in need. We're not, that's just not, we're just going to preach and then hopefully all that will work out. That's the rough approximation of these two camps. And many churches over history fell into one of these two camps. They either became a modernist camp that said we need to be, you know, socially active but not theologically faithful. Or they became a fundamentalist camp that said we need to be theologically faithful but not socially active. And Jesus is saying, actually, both of you are half right and half wrong. You're both half right. The modernists are right that we're supposed to take care of those in need. But they're wrong that we, that we can just gut the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then your faith is in vain. And you are still in your sin. And we of all people should be the most pitied. Right? So, so the, the doctrine is true, but the doing is also true. The fundamentalist side missed it because they weren't actually getting out and helping. They were preaching, but they weren't lending a helping hand. And in fact, James, Jesus' brother, solved this problem long ago because this, was, this has always been a problem in the church where people land on a camp or another camp and they miss the mark. James said this. He said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? This is Jesus' brother. What good is it if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Somebody will say, you have faith and I have deeds. This is, this is what the church did. You have faith and we have deeds. We have deeds, you have faith. And then James says, well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What he's saying is we need to take doctrine and doing and put them together. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need not only orthodoxy, right, right teaching, but orthopraxy, right practice. We, oh, man, is somebody with me this morning? Am I just up here by my? We got we to gotta do it all. We can't be caught up in these, in these camps. In fact, when Jesus preached the Good Commission, the last thing that he said, if you remember the, good, the, the Great Commission, he said this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? What's the gospel? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again, and he's coming again to, 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 to get you and to, and to take you with him. That's the gospel, and, but, the, but that's not where the, the commission ended. He said, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Right? So, so, so this is the reality. We are called to both be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Hearers and doers. Man, I'm, I'm in somebody's business today. I know I'm in my own, so. And then Jesus does this amazing thing at, 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 in this sermon. He puts this twist on it that is just so powerful. And I'm going to give it to you now. Verse 35, he says, For I was hungry. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, he said, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then in verse 40, he says, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for them, you did for me. Here's what he's saying. If you want to get close to the Savior, you've got to get close to the sufferer. 
If you want to get close to the Savior, you've got to get close to the sufferer. Somebody sent me, a, a member of our church sent me a story this week which illustrates this point so beautifully. It's the story of a king who, an old story about a king in a distant land who, who had everything he wanted, everything he needed. All of his needs were met. The one thing he didn't have was an heir. He didn't have somebody to, to, take, to take on the throne after he passed. So he spoke to his advisors and he put out a call across the land. And he said, I'm going to just invite anybody to apply, young people to apply to become my heir. And there was a little boy in a far-off village, a poor child in a far-off village, who had very little. His father had died and his mother said, you should apply to be the heir to the king. But the boy had no money, he didn't have no clothes, he had nothing to offer the king. So for the next month, he just worked and worked and worked and saved a little bit of money and got some clothes together that were presentable. And his mother was known in the village for making this delicious cake. So she made him this cake and she said, take this to the king. So he got his clothes packed up and the cake packed up and a little bit of money packed up and he traveled across the land and he got to the kingdom. He got to the palace, but outside of the palace, he got sidetracked because there was a beggar sitting outside of the palace, dirty clothes torn just sitting outside and the beggar calls out to the child help me i need your help now the child doesn't want to help the beggar at this time because he needs to go see the king but he says okay so he stops and and he has pity and compassion for the beggar and he ends up giving the beggar his clothes and and he gives him the cake and he gives him the little bit of money and he feels like well maybe i should just go home because now i can have nothing to offer the king but he says, well, I've come all this way. So in his tattered clothes, he walks in to the palace. He's escorted down the hallway. And then he, a few minutes later, is brought into the royal palace, into the throne room. And of course, who he sees on the throne is the beggar who was sitting outside the gate. And the beggar is wearing his clothes. And he's got the, he's got the cake spread before him. And he opens his arm. He says, you passed the test. He said, everybody else that has applied has walked past the beggar. He said, but I know you are the one because you stopped to serve the one in need. You stopped to serve the one in need. You thought there was a beggar out there, but it was a king in disguise. Jesus says, whenever you see the least of these, what you're seeing is the distressing disguise of Christ. You're seeing the, 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 the great one, the king, disguised as the least of these. And if you want to get close to the Savior, you've got to get close to the sufferer. Next week, we're going to offer an opportunity for our church to, to serve those in need. We're going to be supporting several hundred children in the country of Ghana. We're gonna, and I'll give you all the details about that next week. It's just going to be fantastic. But in order to prepare our hearts and, and get ourselves ready for, for next week, what we're going to do today is we're going to offer you the opportunity to take what is called the Matthew 25 challenge. If anybody does not have one of these cards, would our, our uh, greeters please come forward to the front? Um, just come forward to the front, turn around. And if anybody doesn't have a card at, at the Shaw campus or at U-City, I would just invite you to take one of these cards. Raise your hand if you don't have one of these cards and you want one. What we're going to do this week as a church to prepare our hearts for next week is we're going to do this challenge together. The Matthew 25 challenge is this. 
on Monday, that's tomorrow, as a church, and get your fan, family and your friends involved. We're going to skip lunch and breakfast. Uh, and we're going to skip lunch, and then we're going to break our fast with beans and rice tomorrow night. And the reason we're doing that is because we're going to, we're going to be empathizing and considering and considering and thinking about those who literally have almost no food. On Tuesday, we're going to fast. We're going to drink only water on Tuesday because there are many children across the globe and, and many of those that we will be supporting who have no food, who will go days without food. On Wednesday, we're going to sleep on the floor. Now, for my my household, the children, that's not a problem. We already kind of do that a lot of times. We just crash wherever. But, but we're going to do that because there are many children that we're going to be supporting that have no place to sleep. On Thursday, we're going to wear the same clothes that we wore on Wednesday because many of the children that we're going to be supporting really only have one set of clothes. On Friday, we're going to reach out to someone who's going through a difficult time because these children are going through a heartbreaking and difficult time. On Saturday, we're going to take a 30-minute prayer walk, and we're going to pray for the children that we'll be supporting next week. And then on Sunday, we're going to come back to church. We're going to celebrate together, and we're going to come together to reach those and to serve those who are the least of our brothers and sisters, the most vulnerable, the most at risk. Take a moment, watch this video, and then I'll come back and close. Then the king would say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you give me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you give me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Matthew 25 challenge was a transformational moment for my family and I. There's one particular day when the challenge was to sleep on the floor. And I walked by my daughter's room, and she was already there on her sleeping bag, reading her Bible. The Matthew 25 challenge was an incredibly spiritual experience for me personally. God was teaching us different things every day, and sharing it with each other was really exciting. Well, when it came to the Water Day challenge, three words come to mind. Caffeine, withdrawal, headaches. Going without coffee all day was a lot harder than I thought. I would get these headaches, but every time I did, it would remind me of the six kilometer walk that women and children have to do to get unclean water. My first thought was, this'll be easy. I grew up missing meals and sleeping on the floor, but my daughters, not so much. They were challenged to come out of their Wi-Fi life and actually experience what kids around the world experience every single day. If you want to participate in this challenge, and I would just challenge you to do this this week, we're going to do it together. The way that you can do it is you can follow this card, um, but we also have the opportunity for you to text 
and to receive a, a daily reminder um, with other people who are actually doing it together. Lincoln, can you hand me my phone, son? Um, the way you can do it is you just take out your phone and um, then you text. If you're at U City, you text uh, U City M25 to the number 56170. If you're at Shaw, you text Shaw M25 to 56170. Um, and so I would just invite you, if you want to do that, you can do that now. Um, if you want to do that after church, you can do it then. I'm going to try to do it now. Let's just see if this works. Um, U City M25. M25. And then you will receive a text back. Yeah, okay. So I just received a text back. So if you want to do this, this will be an opportunity for you to join your church family, your church community, uh, to take, take the challenge this week. Because next week, we will come together. We'll have a special guest next week that will be helping me teach um, a representative from World Vision uh, who was a street kid in, in Africa, in Uganda, actually. And he's going to talk to us about the impact of World Vision. So I just want to encourage each and every one of us to get involved. If you want to help me close, uh, Olu. Um, let's get involved. Let's be the people who accept the challenge. Let's be the kind of people that Jesus uh, calls and says, I want you to see the least of these, and then I want you to serve them. I want you to see the kids that are most vulnerable. I want you to see those who are most in need, and I want you to take the step of seeing me in them. And I'm going to close with this. this. This is what makes Jesus the greatest leader on the, on the history of the planet. He never challenged us to do anything that he wouldn't do. He never challenged us to do anything that he wouldn't also do and more. The, the truth is this. He is calling us to serve those in need. Those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who have no clothes, those who are sick, those who are in prison. But the truth is, the truth is, we were hungry. Us. We had no sp spiritual nourishment. We had no food. We were thirsty. We had no clothes. We were living in shame. We were sick and we were bound. We were in prison. And Jesus said, I'm going to sacrifice everything for you. I'm going to sacrifice everything for you. And what I want you to do is follow my lead. In as much as you've done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. Let's stand together. Both campuses. Let's bow our heads. Let's open our hearts. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. You issue very strong challenges to your people. Challenges that are very difficult for us to even embrace or accept. And yet you've called us to it. You said, take up your cross and follow me. I pray that each one of us today would be moved with compassion. That we would not just see, but we would serve. That we would take the next step. Not just serve, but sacrifice. And that we would be like you who sacrificed all for us. I pray that you would lead us on this journey over the next few weeks. Next week as we come together and pray for the children in Ghana and learn about the opportunities to serve them and to support them, I just pray that you would bring us together, Lord. Open our hearts to experience the truth of the gospel 
not only in word but in deed not only in doctrine but in doing father we love you we honor you we open our heart to you today we praise you in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen amen